States. What is happening? Thanks so much for joining the conversation on this Wednesday, March 8th. It is International Women's Day. We're talking about the Texas coach who's under fire for what's being called racist statements. And then we'll talk a bit about the family who's suing an Airbnb after their baby girl died at one of those rental properties. Want to welcome you to Fox Souls Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Corte, plus online bots soliciting guns to black Twitter and an emotional message from Michael B. Jordan. They're the stories that impact our people. Yeah, it's our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into the top conversation today. Everybody's been talking about it. Latavia, Tay McGee, and Eric James Williams were brought back to a hospital in Brownsville, Texas, in a convoy of SUVs and ambulances escorted by Mexican military and National Guard trucks. That's right, the daytime kidnapping caught on tape and widely shared on social media renewed criticism of the Biden administration's handling of the border and its response to the cartels. Attacks on U.S. citizens are unacceptable, no matter where or under what circumstances they happen. Two of four Americans kidnapped in Mexico last Friday after crossing the border from Brownsville, Texas, have been found dead. According to the State Department, the two survivors are now back in the U.S., brought to the border Tuesday in ambulances with a military escort. The remains of those killed, however, are still in Mexico. Ultimately, uh, we want to see accountability uh, for the violence that has been inflicted on these Americans that tragically uh, led to the death of two of them. While the U.S. hasn't released any details of the investigation, Mexican officials believe the cartel may have hit the Americans by mistake. A victim's relative said the group traveled to Mexico from South Carolina so one could get a tummy tuck medical procedure. Shortly after crossing the border, their minivan came under gunfire. It's very common for a lot of people in Bronzeville, a border town, to go to Mexico to do a lot of their shopping and, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, but this uh, kidnapping is uh, something that is very unusual. The brazen daytime kidnapping caught on tape and widely shared on social media renewed criticism of the Biden administration's handling of the border and its response to the cartels. Now we are fighting as hard as possible. The DEA and the FBI are doing everything possible to dismantle and disrupt and ultimately prosecute the, the leaders of the cartels and the entire networks uh, that they depend on. Wow, so much to unpack here. Yeah. Uh, big discussion across social media. You know, everybody gets into the conspiracies and everybody has something to say in the in the comments section as this story continued to unfold. We've got, you know, a lot of different descriptions of what actually happened, a, a, a kidnapping, a mistaken identity, as mentioned uh, in the package. Uh, were they there to get medicine? Were they there for the um, uh, cosmetic uh, procedure? Mm-hmm. I had also heard that they had, were previously there in Brownsville in a hotel. Um, they got a little lost uh, with GPS. They called the, the center, the clinic for directions. That was the last the clinic heard. So lots of information still coming out. Um, the bottom line for me is I'm hoping those facts can be cleared and be more definite so the family has a narrative of actually what happened and then we can go forth with justice. Yeah, and also what's so sad about this, I understand that that three of the four were there providing just moral support mm-hmm. for and their friend that was going there to get uh, yeah. a, a tummy tuck, uh, to get a medical procedure. And uh, it's so sad that uh, that trip turned out to be, you know, their last, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the enduring trauma mm-hmm. uh, of the survivors of this uh, yeah. is, is also uh, well noted. Um, and, you know, it's important that our soulmates know that uh, the State Department, you know, has 
uh, you know, sort of a high alert for people mm -hmm. that are traveling to Mexico. We certainly have heard stories That's right. of the drug cartels, uh, you know, really posing a significant danger, particularly to uh, to tourists. And so, uh, you know, while this may be a case of folks being in the wrong place at the wrong time, mm -hmm. um, it is a truly tragic story. You know, and, and you know, I, I refute sometimes wrong place at the wrong time because, you know, you should be free to be able to travel in the package. They said that, you know, folks from the Texas side have gone over for medicines and groceries because, you know, they happen to lean on the cheaper side of things. A lot of people debating in the comments whether they should have went or, or, or not. She took three people with her to feel protected. Should she have not gone in the first place? So right now, aside from all of the, the chatter, I, I'm hoping they'll get justice, clarity and justice. Yeah, well, yeah. we hope so too. Mm -hmm. Well, the National Trade Association of Black-Owned Newspapers is being joined by other media companies that are urgently requesting footage from January 6th. They're pressuring Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy to provide copies of the 41,000 hours of security tape that was given to other news outlets regarding the January 6th insurrection. Now, the National Newspaper Publishers Association has made two requests, both of which have gone unanswered by Speaker McCarthy. So I'm, th I'm thinking with this, it's reminded me of the Tyree Nichols case where, you know, the damage has been done. We, we've lost that brother. He, he, you know, we're not gonna be able to bring him back. There's 20 more hours or so of uh, video that was debated on whether or not to be released. I'm kind of in the same vein, like at, what the, at this point with the January 6th insurrection, more footage, what, at, at this point, what would that prove? What would that show? Why, why the request to, to see more of that footage? What would that accomplish at well, this point? Well, I think what, what Republicans are trying to do is to craft an alternative narrative mm. uh, to what has come out from the January 6th committee. Uh, and you even have uh, Congressman Benny Thompson, who chaired mm -hmm. the January 6th committee, uh, saying that if Speaker McCarthy is gonna release the footage, you should release the same footage to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. You don't just release the footage to, to one outlet. You should, you know, be even-handed and release them to all outlets. And so the National Black Newspapers Association is saying, you know, please release the footage to us. You know, there shouldn't be such a thing as, you know, the white press, you know, get some information that the black press doesn't mm -hmm, get. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, Speaker McCarthy has, has yet to respond to the National Black Newspapers Association, but uh, we're gonna keep our eye on this. No response is a response. We mm. shall see. All right, tens of thousands of convicted felons have officially regained the right to vote in several states. In Minnesota, the governor signed a new bill into law that restores the voting rights of felons once they leave prison. Now, under a previous state law, felons were banned from voting in Minnesota until after they finished parole or probation. Meanwhile, Lawmakers in at least 14 states have proposed a wave of legislation restoring voting rights to individuals with past felony convictions. I mean, this is a big deal. You know, there are millions of ex-felons across the country that have not had their voting rights restored. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so uh, Minnesota is just sort of the latest state and what is a national trend of now almost two dozen states yes. that are uh, doing the work to renew the, the voting rights of ex-felons. It's my view that if you've served your time, uh, then why not have your voting rights restored? Uh, these are our brothers, our sisters, you know, there are family members, there are folks in our community uh, that have a stake in what happens in our community, and that means that their vote should count. But on the other side of that, I think people get caught up a little bit more in the
the weeds and maybe they should what type of felon was it and you know if we if you know if voting is a right you know because you violated society in a sense should that right be revoked and and be revoked you know long term or never given back so I can see the other side of this argument however uh, I do believe in in restorative justice as well and so I'm hoping um, as we move along the, these other states will 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 follow along and, and institute something like this as well yeah mm -hmm. yeah a major deal um, now the majority white and Republican-led Mississippi Senate voted this week to pass its version of a bill that would allow an expanded role mm -hmm. for state police and appointed judges inside the majority black capital city of Jackson critics say that in a state where older African-Americans still re remember the struggle to vote decades ago the bill is a similar attempt to intrude on local decision making and voting rights in the capital, which has the highest percentage of black residents of any major U.S. city. Well, when you when you tap into social media and what folks are angry about, what they're hollering about, what they're debating about, they're throwing this back to like the Jim Crow days. Mm -hmm. They said it's very reminiscent. You know, those, uh, you know, folks who, who've been around Jackson, Mississippi for a while, uh, very reminiscent of the Jim Crow days. And even the younger people are tapping in, you know, maybe revisiting that history and saying, yeah, this feels and looks and sounds like the same sort of kind of thing. I mean, even Mayor Lumumba of Jackson says this harkens back to apartheid. Mm. I mean, how is this even legal? Uh, are we watching separate but equal uh, doctrine, you know, rear its ugly head mm -hmm. uh, in Jackson, Mississippi? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a place that you know, formerly was a part of the Confederacy. Uh, this does not seem fair. It does not seem just. And I don't see how we can allow this to stand in the United States in 2023. And so, you know, the governor has not indicated whether or not he will sign the bill. Mm -hmm. A lot of people suspect that he will, uh, but he has not indicated uh, that he will. Uh, but uh, this is of great national concern, because if they're allowed to get away with this in Jackson, Mississippi, then imagine other states with Republican governors, with Republican controlled uh, state legislatures, what they might do to dilute the voting power and the agency of black folks uh, across the country. The more things change, the more things stay the same. All right, moving on here. A French family is suing Airbnb after their 19-month-old daughter died while staying in a rental unit. Now, the couple says uh, they put their daughter down for a nap and found the lifeless uh, body two hours later. Now, an autopsy revealed the toddler had fentanyl in her system. Police say the previous renters threw a party where drugs were involved, though authorities yet to, they've yet to file any criminal charges. The parents claim the property was never cleaned properly. They tested negative for that fentanyl. Airbnb issued a statement saying, quote, it's uh, our heart goes out to the family for this devastating loss. So Courtney, now we've got to worry about <laughs> going to our Airbnb rentals. And if we have young people with us, if we have young toddlers with us, we have to worry about their exposure to fentanyl, mm. to fentanyl. I mean, there's so many things that we have to worry about in the world. And, uh, you know, never would I think that this would be one of them. It's a really terrible story. Yeah, well, not just to fentanyl, but to, to anything, you know, harmful. You really don't know, you know, what those parties do from visit to visit. And you are trusting that the owner of that or operator of that Airbnb uh, has hired a cleaning service to, to clean it thoroughly. Um, it's, it's really like a, a trust factor. And I just hate that now there's there, there may appear to be some sort of risk with renting 
an Airbnb, especially one that's, you know, shown and posted to be beautiful and wonderful and, and will, you know, accommodate whatever you're looking for it to do is very sad. They're saying some kind of exposure, maybe some kind of touching or something. But I, I was really surprised that the parents uh, tested um, negative. So I'm wondering what area specifically mm -hmm. maybe that baby was in where that uh, exposure kind of happened. But uh, very sad. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. Well, Texas Tech has named black assistant coach Corey Williams interim head coach for the men's Big 12 basketball tournament this week following the suspension of head coach Mark Adams. Now, this comes after what the university calls inappropriate, unacceptable, and racially sensitive comments. The coach aimed at one of his players, uh, the Texas Tech officials saying that Adams was quote, quoting Bible verses that mm. included references <laughs> to slaves serving their masters. Mm. Adams has said he was simply trying to point out that players need to be humble. The coach has been humbled himself this year to the tune of five <laughs> and 13 in Big 12 play. Coach doesn't want this smoke, does he? He don't want it. He, do, he, he doesn't want, want this smoke, does he? He don't with, want it. You know, with the day and age and temperament and culture that we're living in, this, this, this is the best example of, you know, showing young men in this case, you know, obedience and what it means to fall in line with structure and things of that nature. I get that. That's a part of a coach's job. But that is the best example that you could give to these young men who are predominantly black on your team, man, please. I, he probably should be fired, if you ask me. I Suspension? Mean, it, it, it sounds very similar to a lot of stories that have been in the news lately where we hear of athletic coaches or teachers, mm -hmm. you know, that are quite frankly, you know, peddling in racist language, mm -hmm. um, you know, in racist tropes. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank goodness that there is a, a racial justice movement that is alive and well, that is calling it out and holding folks accountable. Yeah, it sounds like a default setting. So that's why I say, you know, if they don't want to change it the, in the method of operation, then you got to let them go. You got to mm -hmm. cut them loose. Well, is period shaming a thing in 2023? Never thought I'd say that. Well, the sight of a red blood stain on Kenyan Senator Gloria Oroba's white pantsuit was so startling that she was asked to leave. The senator said that it was an accident, and just before walking into parliament, she looked down to discover that she had been caught unprepared by her monthly period. Hmm. She said she thought about leaving, but then thought about the stigma around menstruation and how it affects Kenyan women and girls, and went into the building to hold the meeting. Very bold, uh, very brave. Uh, I don't know, for me, you know, it still reigns as something very private and intimate. So for me, I would have maybe dismissed myself or maybe have said, I'm going to be a little late. Uh, I, I got a little adjustment to do. Um, but I understand, you know, why she went forth with that, especially, you know, in, in that country and, and, and uh, or that continent, really, and all that, that, that African women in particular have to deal with, with, with mutilation and arranged marriages and just, you know, not being able to be educated, just all that comes with being a, a woman uh, in that part of the world. So I get it and I applaud her bravest, bra bravery, especially in the midst of uh, Women's History Month. Uh, could I have probably done that? No. You know, but, but, but this, is, this is a teachable moment. It's a teachable moment. I mean, you know, menstruation, it's, it's a part of life. It it's, is. It, and if it didn't happen, quite frankly, we wouldn't get here. This right? is true. You know, and, and so, you know, she's, she's essentially saying, guys, no big deal. 
right? Mm -hmm. Yes, this has happened, you know, and instead of rushing off and, and finding a new outfit, like, I'm gonna do my job and then I'll take care of that later. I mean, definitely a personal choice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very, I'm not sure very if, if a lot of our soulmates <laughs> might make the same choice, yeah. right? You know, but, you know, having the agency mm -hmm. to be able to exercise uh, your right to make that choice. I think that's part of the point that she's making. All right. Well, coming up, ride share companies are under fire for their employment stats. That's right. We'll tell you the latest claims against both Uber and Lyft. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. All right, so Maze, we are back. It's Fox Soul's Black Report. Thanks for joining the conversation. So there's a bill that could make the four-day work week a reality for many of us right here in the States. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Democratic Representative Mark Takano of California reintroduced a bill that would make the 32-hour work week a national standard. The previous bill did not get a hearing in committee last year, and this new bill could have a tough path in the Republican-controlled House. But Democrats are enthusiastic about its potential to help black American workers. To, to, you know, I, I know we talk about black folk stuff here, but to really help all workers. That's this right. would just be uh, such a fantastic uh, measure to be passed. It's proven over in parts of Europe mm -hmm. and Japan, in particular during the pandemic when everybody was cutting back and shutting down, um, that, they, that their employees were actually more effective with a four-day work week, getting it in, and then enjoying, you know, a, a longer uh, extended weekend to the point where some companies in those other countries aren't even going to go back to a five day work week after this particular study, after this particular um, uh, thing, you know, yeah. uh, experiment that, and, that, and that they uh, the, incorporated. And, yeah. and, and what's great about it is that there are employers and employees that agree, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, not only are employers getting the productivity that they need, but, you know, uh, employees are getting the work-life balance. And this may be, you know, something that's been induced by the global pandemic. Yeah. I mean, we've all reimagined work in mm -hmm. one form or another. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, these laptops right here, yeah. you know, they come in really handy because ah. they've allowed us to do a lot of things uh, that, you know, five, 10 years ago we weren't able to do. I don't know uh, if you bring so, this thing stateside and, and four-day work week for, for, for soulmates, we might clown a bit. <laughs> we might not be able to handle that. All right, Disneyland has removed a lyric playing, uh, played during its park parades because it comes from a movie that has been criticized, long criticized actually, for racist portrayals of black Americans. Now for years, lyrics from Zippity Doodah, you know it, the signature song from the 1946 movie Song of the South, were part of Disneyland's daily parade featuring a myriad of Disney characters, but now the tune has officially been removed from the daily program. Song of the South has come under fire in recent years for its racist imagery and glorification of plantation life. Now the movie even inspired the classic Splash Mountain ride, Following the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020, Disney announced that it would remove any references to the film. I mean, and, and good for Disney. I mean, Disney pledged that they were going to do this. They, mm -hmm. they said they were going to do this following the racial justice protests in 2020. 
uh, and they've made good on their promise. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is what raising consciousness around racial justice can look like. Mm -hmm. um, I hope corporate America is paying attention um, because it's these sorts of acts, these sorts of demonstrations of correcting the narrative, correcting mm -hmm. the record that mm -hmm. I think, you know, go a long way and, 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 and they're a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, this was a song, you know, that glorify, glorified, glorified uh, plantation life, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and there was nothing to be glorified. Yeah, and about Disney is such life. a high profile, Disney is such a high profile company. I'm hoping that the, the tri uh, triple out effect, trickle out effect will, you know, have other folks uh, with, with names similar. Uh, take a look, I, there's a, a shopping center right up the street from me in my house in Georgia, and mm -hmm. it's, all, it's called Something Plantation. Mm -hmm. And it just rubs me the wrong way, mm -hmm. especially when you say the word plantation here in the States, you know what that implies or what that might bring up for other people. So I'm hoping, you know, other folks take a look at those names that kind of hold that same weight and that same emotional uh, feel. That's right. I mean, there is nothing, we know there's nothing romantic mm -hmm. about plantation life. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, there are so many oral histories and written histories out there, you know, that make it clear that plantation life was a nightmare mm -hmm. for a lot of our people. Right, and, and for the folks out there that don't get that, that don't understand, you know, the, the trauma and the pain that harkens back to, to uh, this period of time right here in the United States, you know, then you know, they need to pick up a book. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. I'm moving along, when Elon Musk acquired Twitter, he made it clear that eliminating spam bots was a top priority, but black Twitter believes otherwise. That's because in recent months, some users have been plagued by a type of spam that directly violates Twitter policy. Automated replies from accounts offering guns for sale. The bots themselves, which are constantly reported and suspended only for new bots to take their place, appears to be activated by specific keywords. Now, any mention of firearms may summon them, but mainly it's the use of the N-word that has seen an increased number of gun-selling bots. Wow, wow. So I, I, I understand the complaint, but on the other side of that, maybe we should cease or, or bring that use of the N-word down if, in fact, they have gone about assigning you know, key words to, to these bots. I mean, I think it works both ways. We, we have the debate about, you know, the appropriateness or should we or should we not use the N-word, why and why not? But at the same time, if there's more proof that uh, bots of, of this nature uh, that hold this kind of message are being assigned to the words that we, you know, culturally use, and I think that's a hit and a half for us to revisit uh, the conversation or the debate about using the N-word and uh, uh, formally approaching uh, companies uh, who, who, who do the stats and do the assigning and do all the, you know, digital stuff that they do. Yeah, I mean, in this case, I think this, we're seeing an example of sort of the weaponization of technology. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody programmed that bot to be able to do that. That that's bot just, just didn't all of a sudden start mm -hmm. doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it fundamentally creates an unsafe environment for uh, Twitter users, particularly for black Twitter users, um, and it violates Twitter's own policy. And mm -hmm. so what's Elon Musk gonna do? You know, are you gonna turn a blind eye or are you gonna enforce the policy that you say you have? Well, don't hold your breath. There's a new report uh, that's finding rideshare drivers of color are being fired without warning. Now, according to this report, half of the drivers said they experienced racism and 43% claim they have faced sexual harassment while on the job. 70% of drivers of color 
had either a temporary or permanent deactivation compared to 57% of white drivers. Now, 30% of drivers said they weren't given an explanation of why they were fired, and 40% were told the app received customer complaints. An attorney for the driver's union said, quote, the reality is that now app-based drivers can be fired, not even by a human being, but just by an app. I mean, this is connected to the, the previous story that the we bots, shared yeah. about the, the bots mm -hmm. on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you, know, you, you have technology, you know, that is making decisions that are impacting the lives of real people, that's creating harm uh, or risk of harm for real people, you know, and, you know, we can't allow technology to just kind of, you know, freestyle and do its own thing. If we don't rein this in, you know, um, what other threats might technology pose, you know, to its users uh, and everyday people? Yeah, but I'm not going to blame the technology. I think you got to go at and get at the people who are designing and Absolutely. computing the technology to specifically target, uh, in this case, us. I mean, I don't think an app knows that you're black unless somebody designing or putting the information, entering the data, knows that you're black. I know for those drivers, you have to, you know, uh, fill out this application, your driver's license with your picture. So I don't know how that's determined, but it's who's programming uh, these bots, these apps. That's who you need to get at. You know, technology is going to do what it's going to do. It's going to do what you tell it to do. Yeah. There was a driver mentioned in the story that had, you know, done something like 27,000 rides over a number of years mm -hmm. for, for Uber or Lyft, I forget which one, you know, and within a matter of a very short period of time, you know, his app was deactivated, and the job that he had uh, driving for Uber or Lyft, um, he had to find another job overnight to take care of his family. Mm. You know, and so there are, are real life consequences to the, the, these, the technology making these decisions. But to your point, there are real life consequences uh, when the folks are designing these apps aren't doing so with us in mind. Just saying. Uh, a new Gallup poll shows some shocking numbers as it pertains to black women and their safety. Researchers found that less than half of black women in the U.S. report feeling safe walking alone at night in the area where they live, compared with about three in four black men and U.S. adults overall. That means only 46% of black women feel safe walking alone at night. It's less than half compared to the 75% of black men who say that they don't have a concern walking at night alone. Among all races and gender subgroups, black women are the only group in which less than half say they feel safe walking alone. And I'm surprised, you know, those, I'm surprised really at those numbers. Look, I, I want to feel safe, uh, you know, walking in my neighborhood. I live in a, a, uh, here in Detroit, we have a home, predominantly black uh, neighborhood, a little gentrification going on. So you see some, some, but there's no fear. You know, when you see the white couple, the baby and the dog, no matter what time of day or night, there's no fear. And I just find it so ironic that, you know, sometimes when I pull up in the driveway, there's a little fear there that somebody might come knock me over beside my head, take the groceries, take the purse. Um, and, and, and I feel sad. It, it saddens me that I feel that way in my own community, been in that neighborhood. I'm 52 for, what, 51 years. Um, and I'm sad that that fear is there. But I also find it very interesting that for those moving back, uh, specifically white folks moving back into the neighborhood, no fear whatsoever. They will just go jog and, and ride the bikes and walk the dogs. 
So uh, I, I think it's, it's quite ironic and it's unfortunate. You know, and, and part of it is a result of the climate that we're in. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, anti-blackness is real, mm -hmm. right? Uh, violence against women is real, right? And so I'm not surprised that if you are a black woman sitting at the intersection of those identities, uh, that you, you, you would feel a, a less safe mm -hmm. walking around your neighborhood. You know, and we saw similar numbers related to black men, though not to the same extent. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, this is a moment in America, you know, where um, when we talk about public safety, it, we've got to expand the conversations. It's got to be more than just our relationship with law enforcement, but it's got to be about our relationship with one another. Yeah, it's black on black crime, but I always say we got to matter more to ourselves than before, you know, we can want other people to matter as for us to matter to them. So up next, it's time to start making our missing girls and women a priority. That's right. We'll have the woman who started Black and Missing, Natalie Wilson, and Representative Richardson from Minnesota to tell us everything we need to know. We welcome you back to Fox Soul's Black Report. So let's go to Minnesota, where black women are three times more likely to be murdered than white women, and their cases are less likely to be solved. That's right. In a move to change this outcome, Minnesota's House of Representatives recently passed a bill that would create an office for missing and murdered black women. If the bill makes it through the Senate and is signed by the governor, it would create the first office of its kind in the nation focusing on black women. And here to discuss the bill currently uh, stands, where the bill currently stands, and the state of black and missing women are Democratic State Representative Ruth Richardson and Natalie Wilson. She's the co-founder of the Black and Missing Foundation. We want to thank you both for taking some time out of your schedules and joining us today here on Fox Hills Black Report. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank for you for us. having us. Representative Richard, let's uh, Richardson, let's start with you. Why, why do you feel it is important to create a measure proposing the creation of a specific office for missing and murdered black women? You know, it's such an important question and what the data tells us, because before the precursor to this office was creating the nation's first task force on missing and murdered black women and girls. And what the data tells us is that cases involving black women and girls stay open four times longer than cases involving our white peers. So at the heart of this effort is a, a recognition that we need to ensure that black women and girls are getting the same attention, mm -hmm. the same resources, and the same energy when it comes from law enforcement, when it comes from the media, and as we think about the community response uh, to missing and murdered black women and girls. Yeah, Miss Natalie, we want to bring you into the conversation, and when we tap into the National Crime Information Center, their stats, they're saying over 200,000 women uh, were reported missing. This was back uh, in 2020. Nearly half were black. So what are some of the distinct differences when we go missing in comparison to others? The first comes to mind is maybe media coverage and getting the word out. Absolutely. Media coverage, there's a disparity in media coverage when our um, people from our community are missing. One, we are not household names, and that's what we're trying to do, ensure that the media coverage is fair across the board, because it does two things. One, it alerts the community that someone is missing, and they can be vigilant as they go about their day searching for them. But two, it puts pressure on law enforcement to add resources mm -hmm. to the cases. 
And what we're also seeing is that when a child or a minor is reported missing, they're typically classified as a runaway by law enforcement. And if you're classified as a runaway, you do not receive the Amber Alert, and you definitely do not receive any type of media coverage at all. And we are trying to you know, do away with those stereotypes and those disparities that our girls are fast or promiscuous. They are our daughters and mothers and sisters that are missing, and we need to change the narrative surrounding their disappearance. Absolutely. So when it comes to changing this narrative, Representative Richardson, do you think the black and missing bill will make it through the Senate this go around? Yes, I am uh, very uh, hopeful that this will not only make it through the Senate chamber, but that it will also be signed into law by mm -hmm. our, our governor. It is a priority for our, our Senate president, and it is a priority for uh, the governor of Minnesota as well. And I, I just want to lift up the fact that this work is long overdue because mm. this has just continued to intensify over the years. Yeah, Natalie, you 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 tapped into how critical it is when these cases are are labeled as such. Maybe you know runaway, which kind of throws off, uh, you know, how people respond and react. So what what more can governments and police departments and news outlets do, particularly on the local level, you know, where these stories uh, start to help solve uh, more of these cases? Well, you know, we have been invited to newsrooms across the country and we ask one simple question. What is your policy when it comes to um, covering these cases? And many news outlets, they don't have a policy. Hmm. Um, and that's something that we are trying to implement. We would love to work with these outlets so that there's fair and balanced coverage um, across these newsrooms. And again, Awareness is key, exposure is key when it comes to this issue, and we want our missing to be household names too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ladies, you know, as we move forward uh, in, in this effort, um, how can our soulmates who are watching, you know, when we scroll through social media, we, you know, there's one story that we may, you know, pay attention to and there's one story that we may not pay attention to. And when we see these um, missing black women in particular, you know, what can we do to, to, to not scroll past that and really take that plea to find uh, that person missing, as you alluded to earlier, it's someone's mom, it's a sister, it's a daughter. Uh, so this, so we, we won't continue to normalize seeing us on missing posters. Well, what we're finding is if this issue doesn't personally affect you mm -hmm. or you do not have someone that's missing from your family, you tend to disregard it. Right. But share this information. Be our digital milk carton. Mm -hmm. Help us to get awareness to these cases because someone knows something. And again, we need to be vigilant and to bring our missing home. Their families are desperately searching for them. So don't wait until a case goes viral. Mm -hmm. Help make it to go viral by sharing it and starting within your network. Yeah, Representative Ruth Richardson, anything you wanna to add to that? Yeah, I think it's important what Natalie said in terms of ensuring that we're doing the work of lifting up these cases when we see them. Mm -hmm. And uh, social media is an important place to do that. And 
at the heart of this office, one of the most important things that we are focused on is prevention mm -hmm. and ensuring that we're doing the work to uh, prevent people from going missing and to also prevent homicides of black women and girls as well. And so as a community, we all play a role in this work mm -hmm. um, and ensuring that we are playing the role to keep our community safe and to protect black women and girls because with the, what the current data tells us, we are unprotected mm -hmm. and we are not getting the same energy or attention in missing person cases or in homicide cases. And as the cold case uh, uh, rate continues mm -hmm. to climb, we all can play a role there. Indeed. Natalie Wilson and Representative Ruth Richardson, thank you so much for your time today as you continue the fight and the push uh, in this effort. Happy Women's History Month and International uh, Women's Day. We appreciate you so very much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. What a great interview. Oh, my goodness. I just learned so much yeah. uh, from those women and their incredible work. And it looks like they they are not just a part of a movement, mm -hmm. but they are really sort of driving this movement mm -hmm. uh, around you know, racial equity yeah. and you know, reporting when it comes to, uh, you know, women and girls who are missing. Yeah. I mean, you know, to see this kind of work coming out of, of Minnesota. Uh, is is pretty encouraging. Yeah, and and the fact that this isn't a you know a milk carton moment. Mm -hmm. You know when when we scroll scroll across social media and we see the missing. You know take that into account. This could be your little cousin. This could be your mom. This could be your aunt, and and share it as as the uh, ladies uh, encouraged us to do and really get involved in bringing someone's family member home or at least solving the case so the family member can be at peace and and will know or or you know what what happened to their loved ones. So, um, you know, really important inside and background information. And I do believe we're going to continue uh, to work in this effort to, to, to bring our missing home and yeah. solve these cases. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to us doing our yeah, part absolutely. Uh, to, to be a, a, a digital presence and mm -hmm. presence in media uh, to lift this up. I didn't know that runaways didn't get Amber Alerts. I just learned that from your interview. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, some of the the outdated narratives, some of the stereotypes about black women and girls, uh, you know, it really gets in the way of, you know, being able to, to find our family members. And yeah. so, uh, really great interview. It's critical, critical. Yeah, still, still ahead, an emotional Michael B. Jordan is in Hollywood for a once in a lifetime offer. Plenty of soulmates out there probably want to dab his <laughs> eyes and wipe his face the moment mm -hmm. that made him tear up. You're watching Fox Souls Black <laughs> Report. It is on the way, Oh. I'd have dabbed his little eyes. <laughs> I'd have helped him out. <laughs> I know you Comedian Mike Epps had a run-in with the law on Sunday when TSA officials found a loaded gun in one of his bags as he passed through security at the Indianapolis airport. Yeah, Uncle Mike uh, reportedly claimed that he forgot the gun was in his bag and was only in town for a show. Police found a 38 special, that sounds just like Mike Epps, uh, with four loaded rounds. Now the gun and ammunition were of course taken in for evidence and while Epps was not arrested, authorities have sent the case to Marion County prosecutors uh, for a review. 
You know, this story really makes me wonder how often does that happen uh, where folks just forget that they may have, you know, some hashish or, you know, a firearm. Did you say hashish? I did. Uh, you know, That's old or, school. You know, or, know about hashish? <laughs> I'm just My saying. mama and them used to smoke I'm hashish. I'm just saying. Okay. I, I don't know, you know, how often that happens where people forget what they have in their luggage. I don't know. I'm you know, so they, particular go about what goes through my, what's in my bag. You don't check your bags and check what's in there. You don't, when you start to pack, it's not an empty bag already. Like how, I just, it happens. So obviously it, it happens, but you know, you don't check your bag. Like when you're packing, you don't know what's in your bag and the compartments and you have your toiletries over here, you have your t-shirts and then you got your shoes tucked away over here and then maybe over here you have a brush. Like you don't realize there's a gun in your bag. <laughs> you don't realize that, oh, where's my gun around the house? You know, where, you know, like, Which bag know. is that gun in? Yeah. I don't know. And you go into the airport where you know it just stays on red, <laughs> you know? You just gotta double check and make sure yeah. with this day and age that we live in. But you know, it sometimes and it's lucky for him, his celebrity would probably save him because anybody else would be locked up right about. And him. I don't think the gun was loaded. Yeah, it was. It, it, I, I, well, yeah, it well, said there were some rounds up in there. Whatever well, that means. Yeah, there may have been yeah. rounds there, but I'm not sure if the mm -hmm. gun was loaded. I'm just saying that you know we all we all forget things from time to time. Mm. You know, I lost my keys. I lost my keys. Keys and a you 38 know. special. <laughs> that don't go together. <laughs> they want us to move on. Rough Riders <laughs> Entertainment is honoring late rapper DMX. On the two-year anniversary of his sudden passing, the label and crew are hosting a motorcycle caravan and ride-out celebration in New York City. This is going to happen on April 9th. It's going to include food, music, games. You know how we get together and do. Uh, DMX was known for his humility and was beloved by his peers in the industry. At his memorial service last year, you might remember his longtime partner, Swiss Beats, expressed his disappointment that X didn't receive as much love in life as he has in death. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a very moving tribute. Mm -hmm. You know, what a great way to, to, to honor him. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, uh, people don't feel the love that exists yeah. for them when they're living. Um, you know, but hopefully, you know, DMX can feel it in another realm. Yeah, we got to get in the habit of giving people their flowers while they're here, you know, amongst us. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, Chris Rock's new comedy special, Selective Outrage, is causing controversy. You don't say. Not Chris Rock. <laughs> no. During the show, he compared Michael Jackson to R. Kelly, which angered Jackson's family members. Mm. Michael's nephew, Taj Jackson, took to Twitter to criticize Rock, saying he's bullied the Jackson family for years. Taj thanked Will Smith for slapping Rock at the 2022 Oscars for an insensitive joke about Jada Pinkett Smith's hair loss. Rock also faced backlash for admitting he watched Will's latest movie to see him get beaten. Uh, you know, I thought it was a, a, a interesting joke. It, there was kind of like a shock factor there because, you know, either you believe um, Michael Jackson had some indiscretion with young kids or you don't. Based upon the way Chris Rock structured that joke, obviously he believes that there were some discrepancies there, uh, you know, with, with the children and Mike. Um, I could see how the family will react. As soon as I heard him say that, I was like, uh-oh. 
you know, that's that's kind of low. I mean, we get the R. Kelly thing, but the Michael Jackson thing has always been de debated and he's been, you know, whether whether he's been proven innocent or just the, the you know paid the, the folks off has left a lot of questions as to his innocence or not. But I get why um, nephew is a little upset. I think he's is he the one? No, that's not the one that's going to play him. The one that's going to play him is Jaloff or Joloff or Giraffe or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see why they'd be upset. I don't was, think he's the good a and dish Jaloff. That was a tough joke. That was a tough joke, right? There. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it was. But you know, Chris Rock is a comedian. Mm. You know, and you know, we all know that Chris Rock, cuts you know, deep. sort of, you know, cuts deep, mm. and he's not afraid to dig in the controversy mm -hmm. and maybe even create some. But on the other hand, because you know, the joke about Will Smith. It seems so. It came from such a, a personal place. Um, you know, it, it feels like you know a case of hurt people hurt people. Baby, the whole special was personal. Chris Rock was on a mission, mm -hmm. and, and he did his thing. He called sure. it selective outrage Whether for a reason. Whether you agree with it or not. Mm -hmm. All right, actor and director Michael B. Jordan was honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame just recently. Friends Ryan Googler, Coogler rather, and Jonathan Majors gave speeches as they praised Jordan's journey in the industry. Jordan admitted that he was overwhelmed with emotion and uh, at the ceremony, and he shared advice for what he would tell his younger self. Take a listen. Before I get out of here, I just want to say thank you for every, to, every, to everybody that's, been, that's here. Um, the people that really know me, I often say, man, I don't deserve this, you know. I, it, seems, it seems very, um, I don't know. When you're constantly on, the, on a journey, I very rarely stop and like smell the roses and like take in moments. I'm always moving on to the next thing. Uh, this fleeing feeling of time slipping away from me. And... You know, for the first time in a really long time, I, I'm, I'm taking this moment in, you know? Uh, people that I don't know, strangers, people that know me very well, uh, see me along the way, you know, I'm taking this in, so thank you. I love that. Stop and smell the roses. Yeah, it's a good reminder. Yeah. It's a good reminder and a, and a great messenger. Yeah, we're, we're always looking, you know, for what's next. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I had a, a real big year in 22. And, and, it, and, and, you know, this year I promised myself just to, to, to sit in it you know, and, and flourish and, and not be so fixed on what's next, what mm -hmm. I, you know, what I, what's the next goal. What it, just to sit in the accomplishment, sit in just the whole idea of being, um, you know, and, and existing in the goals that, that, I, that, I, that I've been able to reach and just chill for a minute. One, of my, relax, old, one, of, my old, one of my old professors used to say mm -hmm. that, you know, too often we, we behave as human doings as opposed to human beings, mm, that's right? Good, that's you know, good. And so, you know, what a, a great reminder from Michael B. Jordan, mm -hmm. who's an incredible, incredible yeah. actor. I mean, yeah. you know, he is the the present and future of Hollywood. I agree. Can't sit too long, though, though, because people out here trying to get what you got, you got to, <laughs> you know, you got to stay active. Now. Maybe a little more than that. Okay. <laughs> Still ahead, honoring one of the greatest writers of all time. Tony Morris. Oh my goodness, legendary. Uh, we'll tell you what's being done to pay tribute to, to the author. That's coming up. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. Eight-year-old Kazen Hunter from Little Rock, Arkansas, started a GoFundMe account raising over $100,000 to help his favorite 
Waffle House waiter. Yep, so during a routine visit uh, with his granddaddy, Kazen took a liking to a particular waiter named Devon Gardner, who you see here. Kazen soon found out that Gardner and his family were living in a motel and having some car issues. That's when the second grader stepped in to help, and to date, the GoFundMe campaign has raised $104,000 in the initial goal. Nicola was only five grand. Wowie Kazowie. <laughs> Gardner was overwhelmed with Kazen uh, when Kazen presented him with the money, saying that he had been quietly struggling mm. and didn't want to ask anybody for anything. Now, for this little guy to do this out of the kindness of his little heart is really humbling. Yeah, the children will, will show us the way. Mm -hmm. Be like children. That's an amazing story. All righty, Toni Morrison is now forever immortalized on a stamp honoring the prolific writer, editor, scholar, hero uh, that was unveiled in a tribute at Princeton University. Oh my goodness, where she taught for almost two decades. Guest speakers included former President Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, and Oprah Winfrey. Take a listen. I will be forever grateful for her work and know that we will always have Toni Morrison in our lives because we will always have her words. And now we have this commemorative stamp. So thank you everyone for being there today to honor her and her magnificent life. My good, I have a Toni Morrison, Oprah Winfrey moment, picture it. 1994, maybe right mm -hmm. up in there. Beloved yeah. uh, had come out. Oprah was doing what we call a press junket. She came to Detroit at the time. It was the uh, Ritz Carlton out in Dearborn. Mm -hmm. And I was selected to be one of three uh, journalists who actually got to go to the suite. We had tea and all kind of little sandwiches that I didn't know nothing about <laughs> at the time. And we were sitting there waiting for Oprah to come on in. And she comes in and she starts singing a particular song. Yeah. And then she had to go to the bathroom. She said, I'll be right there. She had to go tweet tinkle and came in and we just sat down. It was supposed to be about the movie and we talked about the movie, but we just talked about everything from A to Z. And at that time in 94, she was Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. And just to have that moment to marriage of that book, that story, that author, and what Toni Morrison mm -hmm. meant to me then and now, and then to partner that with a chat with Oprah Winfrey, who was so passionate about the book, about the movie, it's just something I'll never, never forget. I have all of the still, all of the paperwork, because that was you had to print yeah. things out then, wasn't no computers, and Oprah signed everything for me. It was amazing. It was great. It was amazing, and, and an amazing book. Beloved was an amazing book. Yeah. That was my introduction to Toni to Morrison. Toni and, and shout out to uh, Mrs. A Adrian, uh, Cindy Adrian, my high school honors English teacher that introduced us to the work of Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. um, I, I still have that book uh, all dog-eared and written in wow. the margins and, and everything. That's a tough and book for high school. It was a tough book, yeah. uh, but but we got through it and we learned a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I just have a deep appreciation for Toni Morrison. She she like a lot of us is a hero. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is someone who was an unapologetic black author mm -hmm. who leaned into it, mm -hmm. you know, who wrote about life with black folks at the center mm -hmm. and not on the periphery, not on the margins. And so, you know, in addition to the movie Beloved, there's also a great documentary out mm -hmm. uh, about Toni Morrison. I encourage people to check that out, especially on today, mm -hmm. International uh, Women's Day. Um, and 
you know, this morning I was thinking, wow, you know, with this commemorative stamp, like, what am I going to do with the stamp? Mm -hmm. And so after the show, I'm going to go purchase a whole bunch of stamps. Okay. And I'm going to go purchase a whole bunch of Toni Morrison books that I'm going to send to my, my niece, Nyla, mm -hmm. uh, in California, who loves to read, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I'm thinking of Toni Morrison's book, The Source of Self-Regard. Mm -hmm. It's a collection of essays and short stories. And so, you know, for folks that may not be quite ready for the, you know, honors English read of Beloved, uh, they might enjoy the Source of Self-Regard by Toni Morrison. It was one of her final books. Um, I love her so much. Yeah, very nice gesture. And she had the most beautiful, silver, puffy, pillowy uh, twists. Yeah, her I locks. just love that. Her, her I love locks that. were beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, she's just a, a beautiful soul. Mm -hmm. You know, I um, you know, once considered going to Princeton because of two reasons. One, uh, my former high school classmate, Aaron Bianco, and two, because Toni Morrison taught at Princeton. Mm -hmm. And my only regret, don't have many of them, uh, but my only regret is that I didn't stay there long enough to, to go with him to attend her class. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to sit in on Toni Morrison's class, and so I guess I gotta make it up in life. Yeah, you'll find a way. All right, for the full rundown on today's stories like this and more, you can access Fox's, Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can access uh, past shows as well and other black-centered content. Don't forget, soulmates, to download the Fox Soul app. It's absolutely free. I am Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Cortez. Stay lifted!